Welcome to Transform Michigan. My name is Angela Waters Austin. I'm the CEO of One Love Global, and I am joined by my co-host, Sean Holland, aka Mordecai. And we want to welcome you to our podcast on the Michigan Business Network. Transform Michigan explores the question, what would Michigan look like if we were to transform systems, policy, practice, and culture so that everyone wins? Transform Michigan will look deep into topics of embodiment, boundaries, harm, creativity, and more with people who are working to reshape our world and Michigan. This is a podcast of possibilities. Welcome to Transform Michigan. Angela, it is so great to be here on Transform Michigan. We have a phenomenal conversation. This is part four to our HOPE series. And today we're going to be digging deep into narrative change, specifically talking about the impact that COVID has had and continues to have on Michiganders, right? And so this is part four. And just as we have introduction, the HOPE initiative measures how different racial, ethnic, and socioeconomic populations are faring among 27 indicators of health and well-being while examining the disparities that need to be addressed to achieve health equity. Why do we talk about closing the equity gap, Angela? And we've had this conversation before, and especially for our listening audience, we know the impact that closing the racial equity gap has on our GDP. So why do we come back to this, these indicators? I think it's really important to come back to the indicators because we don't always see it in the way that we live our daily lives. If you are blessed and fortunate and what some of us call privileged, you wake up in places where you don't necessarily see concentrated poverty. You don't necessarily live and experience the impact of inequitable funding in schools. So when you hear stories about the impact of inequitable funding in neighborhoods and schools and school closures, the impact of all of the conditions of health from the economy to the way that our law system actually treats people who live in poverty, you may have a different understanding and perspective. So it's important for us to actually look at the data so that together across the state of Michigan, we can develop policies, that actually work for everyone so that everyone actually has the ability to thrive and wake up and see the world and to see Michigan in a way that we all would love to see Michigan. Unfortunately, that's not the experience for everyone. Yeah. And, you know, for those of you all that are listening to us, if you would like to you know, review the data that we are referencing, you can go to www.hopeinitiative.org. And when we look at this data, it's shocking And, uh, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about is that Michigan ranks 43rd out of 50 states in community and safety factors and 32nd in health outcomes. When we talk about community and safety factors, what we're talking about are measures around homicide, physical assault, low poverty concentration, robbery, sexual assault. When we talk about the indicators for health outcomes, We're talking about adult health status, child health status, infant mortality, low birth rate, and premature mortality. The indicators and the data shows that Michigan ranks among the bottom states for health outcomes and environmental opportunities with Black and Indian Alaska Native populations requiring the most improvement in these measures. And we've seen a continual decline over the last two decades. 
So when we talk about the hope goal, like what is the goal? So the, the whole purpose of this conversation and is to move 1.7 million Michiganders so that they can experience a better lifestyle. And so when you think about that 1.7, is that something you think, Angela, we can reach with our community in this conversation? I think in time, we certainly can. It requires commitment. It requires resources, obviously. And we have to think differently about what it means to win. Is Michigan winning if we're leaving tremendous segments of our population behind? So hope data is really about how we look at our assets and we look at the distance to the goal and how we come together to move the entire state to achieve that goal of adding over one more million people to the richness of life and the quality of life that we know we all deserve. Yeah. And so I think this is important. And listen, folks, you are listening to Transform Michigan. We are in the fourth series in our HOPE series initiative and reviewing the data from the HOPE project, which deals with health outcomes. And we're looking specifically at the data and how it impacts Michiganders. You're listening to Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network. We'll be back. Sanair has been advancing communities and providing opportunities for people in Michigan for more than 25 years. Through lending, investments, and the creation of homes and jobs, Sanair has made a combined $7 billion impact on the communities they serve. Learn more at www.sanair.com. Welcome back to Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network. Hey, family, we are here, right here together with Transform Michigan. I'm joined with Angela Waters Austin, my absolutely phenomenal host and co-host. We are engaging in a conversation in and around health equity and its impact upon Michiganders. Today, we are joined by Jordan Scrimger, policy strategist with One Love Global, and I want to welcome her to Transform Michigan. And if we had the hand claps, we would have the hand clap sound. And so we want to talk about the story behind the story. What is the narrative that you know needs to be exposed as we look at the hope data? And so uh, can you tell us a little bit about the COVID mapping project and how did that come to be? Absolutely. Hi, everyone. Yeah, this is Jordan. I want to share first because I think it's important that I'm a white woman who grew up in the suburbs of Detroit. So just a little bit of background on who I am and where I come from. But the COVID media mapping project began really at the beginning of the pandemic. And it was a way to just track what sort of stories, what kind of reporting was coming out about COVID at the beginning of the crisis. And in an organization like One Love Global that understands that health inequity is systemic and structural. We knew that race and racism were going to impact the way that COVID impacted our community. I think we were curious to see, was that narrative going to be reflected in the stories that we were telling about COVID? And so that is really where the project got started. And it was originally created to specifically track COVID reporting in relation to race and racism. But much like you already discussed, Racism is tied up in so many other structural injustices, just like you were discussing in relation to the hope indicators, right? And so we ended up building out an economic frame 
you know, the implications around housing and other sorts of areas, policy areas around the reporting as well as things continue to unfold. So Jordan, as you begin to map the data here, what were some of the findings that you'd like to share? And we want to lift up some of those key points. Yeah, I think as the project went on, we came up with six key reasons like what the value of this sort of project was for viewers. And so the first one was actually to create statewide networks to fighting the injustice that ripples across our communities. Because, you know, we were finding that the stories reporting about COVID were popping up across the state. The same narratives were being picked up that there were racial disparities in the way that COVID was impacting communities, but the quality of reporting was different across the board whether reporters included an analysis around the structural inequities that existed in relation to racism and health, or if that was not included, right? And they leaned on a more individualistic narrative, right? That this was a personal choice, taking safety precautions, how COVID was, you know, playing out in the community. So the first really value in this project was to see the way these things connected statewide, the second was to really bring information to the audience that would, you know, create those connections between communities and spur them to act using the information. And later, we actually were including action opportunities as well around these different data points. So anybody engaging with the map could tap into those. A third value really we found was that it caused people to consider new dimensions of COVID and who was impacted, right? How we conceive of community and safety, that hope indicated, and who was being most disparately impacted. Like, what does safety mean when Black residents are the ones who are being most disparately impacted by COVID? Number four, we talked about like what it meant to measure dominant narratives. We didn't provide account to viewers. We relied on like, you know, show, don't tell a little bit. Like as you tapped into these stories, you could see how the reporters were leveraging narratives around personal, you know, responsibility or leaning on that structural analysis, giving a little bit more context to people who are encountering their new stories. And then five and six are more about that structural policy change. Five is holding our leaders accountable for long-term solutions. The pandemic is ongoing in this current moment. And so the way that policy leaders and elected officials have or have not, you know, use this data right now over two years worth of data to understand how racism and our health systems intersect to create safety or lack thereof for community members. And finally, just to understand how things were changing over time. Like, was our analysis sharpening? Were our elected officials taking into consideration these sort of intersecting frames, or were they continuing to ignore the real impact that racism has on our communities and health? That's powerful. I think, you know, one of the things that we know is that Michigan is both urban and rural. It'd be interesting to really look at the narratives that were being perpetuated in both of those settings, right? And so again, you are listening to Transform Michigan right here on the Michigan Business Network. Physicians Health Plan is local. For 35 years, we've been a part of your community, and we take pride in helping you get the coverage, care, and personal service you deserve. Go to phpmichigan.com for more information. We're the health plan that works for you. I'm your host, Angela Waters Austin, with my co-host, Sean, a.k.a. Mordecai Holland. 
and we are your hosts for Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network. Welcome back. We're in conversation with Jordan Scrimger, who is the policy specialist at One Love Global, and my fabulous colleague who really led the work on a project to understand COVID through the art of narrative change. And this was really done through a media analysis. And Mordecai, you just before the break, you talked about that Michigan is both rural and urban. And I also want to point out, because this is really important in in terms of our work around electoral justice, it's also suburban. And the suburbs have a tremendous impact on how policy is shaped in both urban and rural areas. And there's a lot of political power there. So I don't want to miss that. But Jordan, I really would love to talk with you more about what you saw in terms of the differences in reporting and media coverage across those different kind of demographics? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Angela, because, you know, we have so many injustices that kind of get tied up around COVID and really all injustices tied up in one another. But, you know, so we have prisons, right, that are located in really rural communities, but we know that incarceration in our criminal legal system disparately impact Black Americans and are being caught up in the criminal justice system, mass incarceration unjustly. And so when we have COVID that is sort of taking off in jails and prisons across the state, that's happening in rural spaces. But where do those people belong to? I think it's so interesting, this question of belonging and safety and community. Like, how does this impact? And, you know, Detroit was constantly being sort of referenced in these national level articles about what it meant to be a majority Black community in the United States and how COVID was sort of impacting Detroit. But I feel like the conversation around regionalism, like how was regionally COVID playing out where communities were or were not adopting sort of safety measures, how we impact one another. I feel like that sort of conversation was lost a little bit, but I certainly did see more of the the conversation around structural impact and injustice happening at a higher level and not always happening in some of the local stories. And I think some of that, you know, plays into what do reporters know about when they're reporting? Who are they talking to when they're asking questions? And yeah, and how our communities sort of see race and racism impacting our communities. I think it's really interesting because just this past, I think, April, an article came out that said white folks who were hearing about racial disparities with COVID actually like left those articles feeling less empathetic, you know, feeling less impacted by COVID, all of these things. And I think for me, it begs the question, like, how do we continue to tell the truth about racism being the reason why these disparities occur? And yet also as a white woman, for me, what does narrative change mean to bring white people into understanding racism and actually caring and not sort of discarding the information or leaving in a way that makes white people less likely to care about racism and COVID-19. In college, I created a bulletin board about critical race theory, which nowadays is like, you know, the red flag words, I guess, and post-racial ideology. And I included a bit of a disclaimer saying that interacting with my bulletin board might make my white peers in the hall walk away actually feeling like more likely to have sort of implicit bias triggered in themselves by talking about what that meant. And that is the same thing that is actually playing out in narratives when people are reading narratives about COVID, even if they point out sort of these structural injustices, especially when that context isn't included, I think. So 
yeah, I'm sorry, I may have lost sight of your question a little bit there, but I definitely think reporting across the board has been a bit different. Yeah, you know, Jordan, that's interesting because I think about when, how this plays out in the workplace, you know, many in our community were first responders, right? And so thinking about how different people respond to the narratives and the data and how we do impact each other. So me as a manager or an entrepreneur, business owner, if I'm interpreting the data in a way that creates harm to my employees, then again, you think about how, you know, the power of truth telling. And so I'm interested in Angela, your thought on this, because I just think about how many people work in, you know, offices and look for leadership to be accountable, right? And to not brush it off and walk away, internalizing it and thinking selfishly, right? And so this is a very important discussion because COVID is a developing story, even today, as you mentioned, Jordan. Absolutely, Mordecai. And when we come back in the next segment, We'll talk more about the impact of disinformation, especially at the top of a pandemic and how the disinformation that actually came from the sources that we're supposed to trust actually created much more harm and led to more sickness and more death in the long run. We'll be back on Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network. Managing your office supplies is key to a seamlessly functioning business. With over 90,000 items available for free next day delivery and no minimum order, DBI can solve all your office supply needs from pencils to coffee at the very best value. Call DBI and ask a sales representative to show you their product offerings or visit dbiyes.com and request a product catalog. DBI does all things office, office supplies, furniture, and environments. Thank you for joining us on Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network. We're back. I'm Angela Waters Austin, CEO of One Love Global, and I'm talking with Jordan Scrimger about narrative change and the impact that it had on the uptake of masks, of safety, and other protocols, and the impact on disparate communities across the state of Michigan, and how disinformation really made it difficult for communities to take proper precautions to really understand how to protect themselves and their loved ones, and even to know what was truth and what wasn't because it was highly politicized. Jordan, can you just talk a little bit more about your research with this media project and the ways that narrative maybe helped communities do better in some cases than others and how we can build better narratives that move us towards policy and transformation? Yeah, what a great question. And something I think probably our public health officials are still trying to understand and more effectively leverage communications around their jobs as COVID continues to unfold and other public health crises continue to unfold. So I can't say that the COVID media mapping projects ever specifically tracked mis or disinformation. For listeners, quickly the difference between mis and disinformation. Mis is usually, you know, Things that are not true, but usually don't have an intended harm in proliferating those things. Disinformation is usually engineered, you know, dishonest, not truthful, not factual information that has a purpose or intent that's usually harmful. And so the media mapping project didn't track those things, but in terms of disinformation, right? Especially things on social media, I think TikTok 
for the first time, as someone who doesn't use TikTok as much, I was starting to realize, you know, through our, some of our youth organizing programs, how much social media sort of disseminated some of these false narratives or not factual pieces of information around COVID. But there certainly was misinformation in local reporting. And I think it comes down to the stories that we're telling about our communities, especially on that thread I mentioned earlier, of like, is this a personal responsibility issue? Why COVID is so prevalent in our community right now? Or is it a structural, is it a public health problem at a larger level, more macro level than just the individual person making choices around like, this person probably might have to go to work regardless of, you know, the conditions around them. Not everybody has the privilege of working from home. There are so many different things that impact the personal situation, but there are certainly things that our public health officials and our communities can do on a larger scale to help mitigate COVID as much as possible. I think that is something that I started to notice in local reporting is sort of that to think about it. If you're encountering an article that sort of blames you and shames you and tells you that you're the reason why COVID is, you know, proliferating a community versus sort of providing empowering narrative around how we can all look out for one another, you know, our elders and our communities, our young ones who can't be vaccinated yet, and also acknowledges the very real history in our country of Black Americans being used, right, for medical racism in ways that have been harmful and perpetuated harm. Like those realities have to coexist in order for there to be trust that is built, right? Ignoring that doesn't help people, you know, connect to doctors, does not help them connect to public health in a way that's honest, I think. And so, yeah, you can't sweep things under the rug. And sometimes that was talked about and sometimes that was left out of the conversation. I think that is like the heart of the issue is like if we can't talk truthfully about our history in this country, if we can't reckon with that, if we can't start from that, you know, baseline, then we're starting from no place at all, or at least a manufactured imaginary place. So, and I think that is really where resolutions can take us in some direction, but certainly without action, our resolutions are left without some of their teeth. I was just sitting here, just enjoying the conversation and just thinking about the responsibility that leaders have in the community. And as information was being disseminated across the state and across the nation, you know, one of the things that, you know, we decided to do was to lift up the real life experiences of people in our community who were being impacted, right? And started gathering them, gathering their stories, having them to email us and write, like, what are you experiencing right now? We know this is what is being, you know, promulgated through the media, but what are you experiencing? What are you and your children, right? Like, how is your house being impacted, right? And so it's important that we lift up the lived experiences of folks, regardless of what mis or disinformation, you know, and begin to really be accountable for the truth. And so this is important. And again, you are listening to Transform Michigan right here on the Michigan Business Network. And we'll be right back as we dig deeper into this subject in the COVID Media Mapping Project. Follow Transform Michigan at Transform Michigan on social media. Even if you just get an hour, imagine a stress-relieving treatment, hand and arm massage, and a free makeup touch-up. Does this happen every time you have your hair done? It does at Douglas J Salon. Get the entire experience exclusively using Avita products. Guests have experienced the Douglas J difference for 45 years. 
Douglas J. with two locations, inside the Marriott Hotel and in Okemos. Make your reservation at either professional salon by calling 877-334-8657 or visit douglasj.com today. Hey, you've got it locked in to Transform Michigan right here on the Michigan Business Network. I'm joined with Jordan Scrimger and Angela Waters Austin as we have been unpacking the COVID mapping project and the power of narrative change. And we've talked about how highly politicized the issue of COVID and how those narratives really brought harm to you know millions of Michiganders. I just really want to lift up what Jordan just shared with us about the way that stories were framed had a lot to do with how communities reacted and responded. And you had communities across the country that had uneven implementation of policy, uneven implementation of the safety protocols. And so just here in Michigan, you had literally storming of the Capitol because of a mandate for folks to wear masks so that we could keep one another safe. And that simultaneously, you had uprisings against police brutality, and this is a global uprising. So you have these narratives about white people resisting, I mean, largely white people resisting wearing masks and protesting and arming and storming the Michigan Capitol armed, because they refuse to comply with masks and you have a global uprising where people are protesting police brutality and the response from the same people who don't want to wear masks is that people should just comply and that will stop police from murdering them when we see the evidence that that is not the case. So you have all of these narratives that collided also during a presidential election year. And how it became fodder for both disinformation and misinformation because you had Center for Disease Control data and information. You have these updates coming from the White House that were uneven and inconsistent and largely driven by political narratives and political agendas. And then you have local and state health departments who are responsible for making sure that communities are safe and have access to factual and urgent information. And so it was a moment for communities to come together with public health professionals to actually start to have a deeper conversation about the impact of race and how race was playing out throughout the pandemic and all of these narratives. So that's one thing that I really want to uplift about Michigan is the number of communities that came together and passed resolutions declaring racism a public health pandemic. And that was driven by the narratives of the community. It was the uplifting of those stories that touched the hearts of public health professionals, but also provided real-time data in a way that wasn't necessarily credible or easily received, but people had compassion for their neighbors and those stories and they came together and organized. And so you have community organizers, public health professionals, folks sharing those stories, and the impact was at least the seeding of policy. So I would like to turn it back to you, Mordecai, to talk a little bit about those resolutions and where you see it going. 
Yeah, when we look across the country, you know, we had something around 200 plus cities and states declare racism as a public health, you know, pandemic and crisis. It was a public health crisis. And I think, you know, it's shocking in the midst of all of those colliding narratives, you have public health officials, you have elected officials who finally say, hey, we have to deal with the root cause, right? Systemic racism across this nation. And it first starts with a declaration. We have to name it, right? And I think that's the first step is naming it. As Jordan talked about, I think these colliding narratives brought us to a point where you know, some began to see across this nation and our state that we're one, like we have to fight against the root cause and racism is at the very heart of all of these disparities, right? And so I think we're moving beyond just a declaration. And now we have to move beyond how do we resource that declaration so that we lift up those portions in our community who are saying, hey, I am deeply being impacted by these disparities especially when we talk about livable wages and we talk about, you know, childcare and the impacts and the changes that COVID has made. And so we're excited about this conversation. And again, you are tuned in and got it locked in to Transform Michigan right here on the Michigan Business Network. The attorneys of Foster Swift, Collins & Smith offer legal counsel to businesses, families, individuals, and municipalities throughout Michigan with offices in Lansing, Farmington Hills, Grand Rapids, Detroit, Marquette, and Holland. Clients know they can count on Foster Swift for all their legal needs, from straightforward wills to sophisticated business transactions and complex litigation. Learn more about Foster Swift and how they can assist you at fosterswift.com. Welcome back to Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network, where my co-host Mordecai is in conversation with Jordan Scrimger, and they just got to a really exciting point about the declarations of racism as a public health pandemic. And I want to make sure that we go deeper into that. Mordecai, will you take us there? Yeah, one of the things that is interesting when we look across the nation, again, I just want to like highlight this for our listeners that over 246 cities, counties, leaders have declared racism as a public health crisis. But right here in Michigan, over 20 Michigan communities, I want to say that again, over 20 Michigan communities have declared racism as a public health crisis, which means that out of all of the national declarations, Michigan makes up about 10% of those declarations. I think that is the way forward, right? That's a point to celebrate that Our community has come to the point where we're ready to name it and move forward. And I begin to think about, you know, the corporate accountability, like when we think about our listeners and, you know, how do we move forward together? And so, Jordan, I want to just kind of like, you know, ask you, what's the way forward look like? Because we're all in this together. Oh, I love that question, because imagination and future building is something we're all going to have to work on together. So it's really important to ask that question. And When I think of the declarations, typically, right, in resolutions, there are two key sections. There's that preamble. And so you'll recognize it by the whereas clauses, you know, whereas this, whereas that. 
you know, setting the stage for the resolution, like what's to come. And so when I think of resolutions, I think that preamble section is such a powerful tool to reclaim the narrative and state the facts, right? If this were a court of law, like what are the facts of this community? Like what are the things that are leading us to declare this, to declare racism a public health crisis and not only digging into a history of racism at the national level, but locally uncovering those histories that have been purposefully like not told and left out and forgotten in some ways. But then that resolution sort of section where we say, so this is it. This is, so be it resolved that X, Y, and Z, like we are, you know, declaring this, we are taking this action, we are doing this thing. And I would challenge business leaders who are listening to this to sort of think about that in relation to your own enterprise, to think about, you know, if you live in a community where racism has been declared a public health crisis, and perhaps more importantly, if you're not in a community that has done this, what does that look like for your company? And what actions does it require you to take both with your workers, folks who interact with your product or your company, the public? How can you lead in this area? I want to highlight a really cool project that I came across as I was doing the COVID media mapping. And it is a racial justice scorecard from As You So. Angela earlier was talking about how the uprising around the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, like this was happening around the same time Um, as COVID was taking off. And as you so created a scorecard to look at the commitments companies were making around racial justice, right? What were they saying that they were resolved to do as a sort of takeaway from this uprising? Like what were they committed to doing? And so this organization started to track, okay, so you said you would do this. You would look at either the diversity of your hires or, you know, advancement in your company or the products, like who maybe you're donating to financially and campaigns and what kind of policies are they promoting? And so it became a really cool tool. You can take a look at that. Maybe you're a part of a company that's been scored by them, but maybe you're a more local company and you haven't been. Regardless, I would say that that is a way that our businesses can lead. Our economy is certainly tied up in all sorts of other injustices, racism, as well as all sorts of things. And all companies have a responsibility to think about that in the community, like how they impact the community in a broader sense. So that is certainly moving from like our words to our actions and resolutions as communities at all levels. You know, Jordan, I think that's important because I think what we are talking about as we've entered into a new era, you know, as COVID has ushered us into, we're talking about leadership that is bold and that's innovative, right? We're talking about leadership that looks into the future, spends more time in the future, and coming back and building what the future needs. And equity is an absolute necessity if we're all going to make it, right? And so we just want to put the challenge out to all of our leaders. There's a thing called vertical leadership. That's where you try something that has never been done before for justice, for what is right, for your employees, right, for the community. And so, again, I really appreciate you being with us here on Transform Michigan Jordan wonderful conversation. We're going to continue it. And uh, my name is Mordecai. And I want to you know, pitch it back to Angela Waters Austin, wonderful co-host here on Transform Michigan. Thank you, Mordecai. And thank you, Jordan. It's such an eye opener to really think about the distance to the goal. I just want to remind us that this HOPE initiative is about how we use data to learn about how we use the data to drive transformation and across our communities so that we all can win. Thank you for joining us on Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network.